The Curse of Democracy. Democracy is probably considered to be the most um, innovative, most significant um, development. Uh, it uh, is generally uh, credited to the Greeks, uh, but their democracy was of a patrician class, big landowners that had uh, a great deal of time to sit around and talk, and basically a lot of what they did they paid for. They, they, they were the ones that had to finance um, the decisions they made. Um, the um, issue with democracy to some extent is that it's not a single uh, concept. Uh, at its basic, it's it's um, advocates the power of the uh, mass of people, the majority. Um, but the, this, because democracy is so, um, it's such a complex concept. Uh, this kind of direct uh, voting for policy is called the democracy and to some extent this is what uh, Athens had but it's not practical but it's not practical for most applications it's feasible for small groups and primarily for groups that are um, self-funding because uh, if the um, group is say made up of 20 or 30 or more members, numbers not important, but the group decides to um, build a wall or go for a vacation or whatever, and the cost of this is put on the entire group. This isn't going to go down well with those who can't um, partake of the uh, decision. And if the whole group does agree, it's almost moot because um, they would all be funding it and it would probably would need to be an issue to be voted on. The implication kind of behind democracy is that you have a disparate group in which all members aren't going to agree with each other. And the purpose of, of democracy is to um, find some way of getting a group of people who cannot all agree to actually agree in um, organizational or functional terms. But um, uh, a real direct democracy has a problem of um, imp uh, implementation because it's it's one thing to get people to um, discuss and then vote on different options. It's a different thing to get those who are voted against to um, participate in the actual implementation of an idea they may seriously oppose. Which kind of brings us to representative democracy where 
a group of persons is given the authority to implement the decision made by the majority. But this still it become, kind, of become, uh, kind of becomes very complex because if we're just saying that 20 people out of a hundred decide to implement it, or one person out of the hundred um, decides to, uh, is given the power to implement the decision of the majority, then that person or small group becomes a, a tyranny and represents um, a, major, a majority that basically has absolute power. Because um, a simple majority of persons is given the power potentially to, to bring in any kind of regulation or um, ruling that they, they choose. I mean, even to the point of enslaving uh, the minority. So, what a lot of democracies have done is to develop a thing called representative democracy in which the um, totality the, of the, the, the voting citizenry are broken down into groups, into voting blocks. So in Canada you have Atlantic Canada and the provinces in Atlantic Canada who generally vote quite similar but they each have different numbers of representatives who they vote for. And the same goes for Quebec and Ontario and the Prairie and the other, other jurisdictions. They each have a certain number of representatives who uh, the, the, the um, public vote for. And then these representatives represent the, 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 the um, people, the jurisdictions. This still doesn't work out totally just because Toronto being a place of great numbers uh, has a great many um, representatives in Parliament. And so this one city has a and, and the area around it has a huge impact on the uh, actual government and in many ways holds the balance of power. But on the other hand, in the, in the smaller jurisdictions like Prince Edward Island, who has very, there's only maybe, I think, two representatives, they still have a disproportionate say compared to their population. So, proportionately, Toronto is discriminated against, but representationally has, uh, un, in a sense, an unfair sway over in which direction the country goes and in which, which party wins the election. So, no matter how you look at it, it dis it's, 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 it's a dissatisfactory system.
But there's still further problems because we have a government made up of representatives and they discuss and vote and negotiate and whatever they do but, and they make a decision about what programs or policies they're going to implement. But then the question is who pays for them? Well, in a representative democracy of a considerable size such as Canada, the issues aren't quite so dramatic as a smaller as would be in a smaller group. But the tendency is still for some political parties to favor um, penalizing some groups more than others. And this goes two ways, and the two ways are basically socialism and conservatism. And in the one, the assumption is that the, the people who own property have their right to it, and if it's capital, they are the um, caretakers or the stewards of capital, and they need to be nurtured and protected so that they can produce wealth for the country. On the other hand, on the, the socialist um, spectrum, the idea is that the nation isn't the jurisdiction of the rich and the wealth in the nation isn't the sole um, province of the rich and they don't have the only um, merit. They aren't responsible or the, for, for all that's been produced so there is even even if we want to say capital produces the productivity the fact that one is a citizen in the country gives a kind of right to the person to enjoy some of the benefits that the country produces and without going into this in any detail because it's basically moot point about which argument carries the most weight. Um, the point is that neither claims is totally valid and the fact is that um, no one actually has a right to force some people to pay for what others are benefiting from. So the whole notion of democracy, that the that the, some kind of voting process gives this group some kind of legitimacy is flawed. So you might have a, have a direct democracy or a representative democracy, but it still comes down to a, a group of people making choices for for the for the whole, whole group or for another group without any any um, real moral legitimacy to do so the only legitimacy a group has is that they're willing to pay for the costs that they create and that's the only 
moral legitimacy there is. So the democratic um, process is a flawed process and we need a free market. The free market is the only um, system, the only model that pay, uh, has has a clear accounting where the where the the one creating the cost pays for the cost, and this isn't possible in this system because democracy and our flawed ownership models precludes any kind of um, proper moral um, system of, of uh, government or s s social system, really a uh, rational social system. So we need to uh, look at the church as a more viable and more rational and more doable um, social system. And um, in the church, it's the church that uh, owns the means of production. And but in the church model, it's a free market that decides and allocates the um, goods and services, and which way the resources are allocated. So, um, and this is what we call an exchange. And this has been dealt with. Um, in other videos and, and on my websites, so I'm not going to go into it here, but uh, we just wanted to discuss democracy and why democracy it doesn't it's a flawed system and why it might it might be necessary within this flawed system of ownership that we we have, but it's one error being used to correct another error instead of actually correcting it, it's um, it's creating errors and it's it's legitimizing errors without actually solving the, the problem that they create. 